I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. Derek McLean is a Tony Award-winning set designer who has designed over 350 productions on Broadway, Off-Broadway, internationally, regionally, and for television. A few of his award-winning designs for Broadway include Moulin Rouge, American Sun, Parisian Woman, Beautiful, Follies, Anything Goes, How to Succeed in Business, Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, Million Dollar Quartet, Ragtime, 33 Variations, and Little Women. He designed the 2013 through 2018 Academy Awards ceremonies and four live musicals for television. And he is the winner of multiple Obie, Lucille Lortel, Art Directors Guild, Emmy, and Drama Desk Awards. Hi, Derek. Hi, Stefan. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being on American Theatre Artists Online. We're very glad that we're getting to talk to you on our podcast. I'm excited to talk to you. You know, I don't think we've had a set designer yet. Well, then I'm honored to be the first. <laughs> You'll have to be the one to represent uh, uh, your, your fellow set designers. Um, so <laughs> we're very, very excited to have you on today because, you know, we, um, it's interesting I say that because I do think that we don't get to hear enough from design people um, in the performing arts. We often hear from actors, directors, writers, you know, the people that are more front and center. And we often don't get to talk to people who are cr- critical for the work that uh, theater people do, which is designers. And so I'm really happy to have, have you on today. You know, you've designed over 350 productions, including many, many shows on Broadway that I'm sure people listening uh, have seen, perhaps, um, whether it's, you know, Beautiful, the Carol King musical, or Follies, Anything Goes, How to Succeed in Business. I'm just mentioning some of the musicals, but also 30, yeah. 33 Variations, I Am My Own Wife, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many interesting shows that you've worked on. Um, uh, it's, you know, we're, there's no way we're going to cover it all today. <laughs> I promise. We'll be here a long time. <laughs> That's right. It'll be like a four-hour podcast. But before I even dive into all the wonderful work that you've done, and we'll definitely talk about some some of the key highlights that I know um, listeners want to hear about. Um, how are you doing during this quarantine time? I mean, it has been over a year, right, since... Um, the COVID pandemic, and it's been really difficult for theaters around the world. Yeah, well, Broadway has been closed for about 13 months now, uh, which has been surreal. You know, we're so used to the ethos of the show going on that uh, when we closed down for, you know, even two weeks, which is what was originally done back in March of 2020, 
that was shocking enough. Uh, and so the idea that it will go on for 13 months and what will actually at the end be probably 15 or 16 months, uh, probably about 16 months, I think, by the time Broadway starts to reopen, it's truly um, stunning um, and not in a good way. Uh, but, you know, um, luckily uh, I've remained healthy and um, most of my friends have. Um, sadly, I lost a few people, a few friends early on in the pandemic um, when Broadway was hit so hard. Uh, and that was really awful. Um, it's it's basically been a pretty terrible year. Um, yeah. uh, but but there have been some good things. Um for sure. Um, but, you know, I, like everybody else, I'm really uh, excited to get back to work. And, um, you know, I've been, uh, I'm fully vaccinated now and Good. and many of my friends are fully vaccinated. And, um, you know, we're actually just beginning to plan some dinner parties. And, mm-hmm. um, and so you can feel normal life beginning to, to sort of inch back. Right. And in terms of the design work, I'm sure because you're so busy and you're always working on so many different shows, um, not just on Broadway, but everywhere, really, um, I can imagine that you had several projects that were postponed or and are those starting to are some of those coming back now and starting to gear up? Yeah, everything, you know, pretty much everything now has a schedule to return. Um, and um, it's, you know, so this next year, um, looks like it will be extremely busy because um, the sort of, you know, there were some things that were already planned and then there are other things that are, are returning um, or, or being, you know, put on a sort of accelerated schedule once we're back. So it's going to be, you know, um, Broadway, you know, looks like it's going to reopen in September. Um, and, um, you know, of course, anything can change uh, with COVID, but that's, you know, that's sort of what it's looking like. And so, you know, basically... For a year starting in September, I'm going to be just opening a lot of things. I was going to say it's all kind of there's like a bit of a traffic jam maybe starting in the fall. It's a little bit of a traffic jam, yeah. <laughs> and so you know these are projects, some of them that um, I had started designing long before the pandemic. Uh, some of them were even uh, you know uh, under construction in the scene shops um, before before the pandemic, and so. Um, you know, I think that I'm opening three productions of Moulin Rouge um, within the first six months that we're back. Um, and Michael Jackson um, mm-hmm. will open um, in uh, early February, most likely. And um, uh, a musical called Black No More that I'm working on will mm-hmm. open. Um, uh, that's, the know, Bill, around the- that's the Bill T. Jones project, right? He's a Bill T. Jones is choreographing it. Scott mm-hmm. Elliott is yeah. directing it. And uh, Tariq Trotter and John Ridley. Tariq Trotter wrote the score and John Ridley um, wrote, the, wrote the book. And mm-hmm. it's really an amazing piece. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Yeah, I've heard about it here yeah. and there from some friends of mine. But So, wow, this I mean, there's really some amazing stuff going on. Now, at the time when Broadway shut down a year ago... You had you were represented on Broadway at least by two shows that I know of, maybe more. I know Moulin Rouge, a uh, show that you designed, and Beautiful. Yep. Beautiful was running as well. Were there other shows? Or were there no, be- Beautiful had actually already closed. Oh, it had closed. Pandemic. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't know. That's that. all right. Um, it had a it had a six year run, which was amazing. In my mind, it runs and, forever and ever. It's a yeah. it's one of my favorite <laughs> shows of all time. But okay, so let's talk a bit. About, I, I did have so I did yeah. have a Soldiers play also running. Um, ah, yes. The at the time that um, the pandemic shut us down. Yeah. So that's difficult to deal with when you have your work um, on you know in such a 
public venue and then suddenly um, everything shuts down. So that's got to be difficult, yep. not just for you, but for the actors and everyone in general. Yeah, for everybody. Yeah. And for the audiences, because we're, we're desperate to see uh, more shows and to be able to go see things that we've not had a chance to see soon. So let's talk a bit about... Um, some of the more, more you know, you've, you've been a part of some really interesting, I think, almost historic productions on Broadway. Let's talk about first, though, your Tony Award winning work in um, 33 Variations, the Moises Kaufman um, yeah. work uh, with Jane Fonda on Broadway that I know, I, I believe, started at Arena Stage. Did it not here in D.C.? I'm in D.C., so we have like our local D.C. Um... Yes, well, you're absolutely right. It started, it started uh, at Arena arena i think in the krieger mm-hmm. and um mm. and you know it was it was uh that was a pretty simple production um you know i think it was something it was sort of um uh kind of a one step above a workshop when we did it then you know i had mm-hmm. a pretty had fairly fairly simple simple physical production and then uh we, we were able to do it again at la jolla uh mm-hmm. playhouse and um and there we got to sort of um flesh it out a little bit more um, and, you know, more fully realize some of the things that we had developed uh, for Arena. And then, um, and then we did it on Broadway and, um, you know, and we're able to sort of take it to the next level. And there is a, there's such a value in being able to uh, work on something like that, you know, with various stages and have some time between them because you really do get a chance to sort of go deeper and deeper into the work. That was a really, um, you know, a really exciting show for me. Um, you know, the process of it was really unique because, um, you know, the way Moises writes as a, as a writer and also works as a director is, you know, he, he, he really starts to investigate a subject, but he doesn't, doesn't necessarily map out a plot ahead of time. Mm-hmm. He, he really, he takes, he gathers a lot of material and some actors and he develops he develops things very much sort of on their feet in workshops and then goes away and writes and then comes back and does some more developing with the actors. And, um, and so as a designer, you have to sort of work alongside that. And, um, uh, so, you know, when I started the design for that at arena, um, I didn't know all that many specifics about the play. I just had, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a finished script for me to start with when I, when I started on it there. And, um, so it's really about sort of, you know, working and Moises is very interested in design. And, and one of the things that's exciting about that is you're sort of working on ideas with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ideas become a design. And, um, I don't know. I find that it's an interesting way to develop something that's you know kind of unusual. I was going to ask um, you, how do you like to collaborate with a director and other creatives? And I guess you're, this was a unique experience. I guess it sounds like it's not normally this way or when you're doing Moises. It's or? not. I mean, it, you know, every director has a completely different personality, obviously. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of them have very different interests in how they, you know, how they, how they approach things. Um, and, some are very interested in sort of technical things and some, you know, some directors are not, there's some great directors who are not particularly, they're really just interested in the actors and the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I guess I pride myself on, on having relationships with, with, you know, the whole sort of spectrum of, of directors who work in various, various ways. And, mm-hmm. 
so I, I can't I can't honestly say that this I have a favorite. I, I just you know it's 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 all interesting and it's it's interesting figuring out how their minds work, how their brains work as you as you do this because it's like one of the things you're you're trying to figure out the play, but you're also trying to figure out the the, uh, the how the director works, right? The concept um, or whatever he he or she wants out of the piece. If they know, uh, <laughs> right? So and, this is the process. I, I, don't, I don't mean that as I don't, but I don't. That sounded negative. It's not. No, it's, no, no. I think you're you know the, the exciting thing. Develop. I think yeah. as a, as a set designer is that you know you you're, you sort of get to de- often get to develop those things together, mm-hmm. um, because the act of designing the set is you know sort of causes a whole bunch of concrete decisions about the physical physicalization of a play or a musical that you know haven't been made concrete before and uh and there's there's just a million different choices a million different ways directions to go and so figuring out you know narrowing those choices and figuring out what the sort of style is what the rule you know sort of inventing the rules for the production inventing the the logic for the production is um to me, that's sort of the most exciting part of, of, of set design. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, the, the collaboration between you and Moises and, and all the other uh, creatives on that production, obviously, you know, bore fruit because you, you, you know, your Tony Award must have felt, you know, earned and, and well, um, you know, well received because uh, it sounds interesting that you guys were developing as the piece and through various different types of productions as it went on. You know, it got to grow over time yeah definitely it was very gratifying it was very gratifying because it was you know it it was uh it it was it was definitely a journey in that show now let's talk a bit about beautiful because i know that show had some workshops or had some right uh, out of town stuff too before it um what was that were you a part of that from the beginning as well i was you know the first time i saw it i just saw a workshop of act one Mm -hmm. uh there wasn't even an act two yet um and um and I was so on board when I saw that workshop of Act One. I was like, "Wow, this show is going to be great!" Mm-hmm. And uh, there was just something, you know, um, Doug Doug McGrath, who wrote the book to that, did a really clever thing. Um, and you know, having four sort of central characters. Yes, um, he expanded it. It wasn't just about yeah. Carol King and, and you know. Jerry. Part of it is that Carol King is. Um, she, she did not live a, a terribly controversial life. Exactly. Um, yeah. so, you know, she, uh, to her credit, she, she she's a pretty well-adjusted person. Right. Well, her husband, her husband was apparently bipolar now looking back. Yes, he had, a, he had a much more troubled life. Yes. But, uh, but, but so, you know, by, on her own, um, you know, that she, she, she didn't have, she, she didn't have a, like a great, you know, that many great tragedies to sort of put on stage. And so yeah. I, I think that sort of led Doug to, to sort of expanding this, but she had these amazing friendships and, and relationships, including the one with, with Jerry Goffin, um, who was such an important part of her life. And so they wrote, you know, he wrote, he wrote the story about, about the two of them. And then, the, you know, their best friends My who were, favorite were also their big competitors yes. and so the, the yeah. competition that gets set up between them and in Bar- act one and is, is so delightful right Barry Mann and Cynthia Vile right the other uh, partner, exactly yes part, married the other married couple who are still married to this day uh, married couple who are who are amazing songwriters of different kinds of songs right and then it opens up the show to have so much more in it than just you know I mean not that the Carol King music alone isn't enough but it gives you all of their music too I mean which is well they're such incredible uh, they're such incredible 
songwriters, yes. their names are not as well known because no. they, they never performed themselves. But Correct. you would recognize, you know, anybody would recognize their songs. Yes. And um, so, yeah, and so that that's sort of a delightful structure, I think, to have these two deeply talented sets of songwriters you know, husband and wife teams that are competing, and then they literally worked in the same building. I mean, it's so amazing the way that that yeah. That whole well, thing let's let's out. talk a bit about how you then took that story and um, made it happen on stage with the set design. Because I have to tell you, Derek, when I saw that production, I had never seen a set design quite like that. Um, in that how it was almost, I don't know how to explain it, almost, I'll let you explain it, but um, it's almost like a jewel box, I want to say, and that it's everything sort of in a frame, and yet within that frame, there is so much going in and out, and uh, so much depth, and, uh, I, I, and it's also so vertical, which I really, really enjoyed. So tell me a bit about how you came up with that concept for that set, the ever-changing sort of framework there. Yeah, um, well, thank you for all that. It's... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it like like a lot of musicals had a, had a bazillion scenes in it, um, and um, you, you know, and it was also one of those pieces where I could tell as we were going going into the you know we we, we were working very quickly. The, the uh, producer for that show, uh, Paul Blake, you know, wanted us to, to get the show up quickly, and so he was he was pushing us all really hard to to you know get get to our first out of town in San Francisco um, as quickly as possible. And I had a strong hunch that the, that um, the script was, was, was going to change a little bit. And that was no criticism of it, but you know, it was just the speed that we were all working at. Doug had not written a a Broadway musical before. um, And so, um, you know, and there was, none of us had worked together before. So it was, this, all those things sort of said to me, okay, this is gonna, this needs to be able to develop a little bit. So there needs to be some flexibility to this design. It can't be just totally locked into, mm. you know, to what this is. And by the way, that's true for so many um, musicals. Unless you've done extensive workshops going into it, you know, you have to kind of assume as a designer that things are going to change as you work on it. Right. And so, um, I was trying to sort of figure out, you know, what's the hook for this design? What is what is the thing that that create a you know a world because i that's what i came to realize is i i could not really focus on any one scene there's just too many of them i but i needed a big idea you know to sort of to sort of create a world for all of the scenes and it's actually came, it was pretty simple it was something that doug mcgrath wrote in the very first scene of that show which was carol king as a as a 16 year old girl trying to persuade her mother to let her go into Times Square from Brooklyn so she could go to try to sell one of her songs uh, at 1650 Broadway. And um, the, the, the thing that she says to, to, to persuade her mom is she said, she's describing 1650 Broadway, you know, where she wants to go. And she says, Ma, it's just like a factory, but they make music. Mm. And I thought... Well, that's it. That's the image for the for, for for the set is this factory where they make music. That's 1650 Broadway. That's where their offices were. That's where they wrote songs. That's where they recorded songs. That's where all the recording artists came in to audition, to drop off their tapes, to to to, to press records, and and you know the way the way it was described by Doug McGrath, and I guess the way it really was, you know back in the 1950s and 60s was it was this real hothouse that was sort of fueled by caffeine 
and nicotine, you know, um, it, you know, and it was just full of, it was just full of creativity and late nights and deadlines and, you know, and, um, and healthy competition, as you can see, and healthy competition. Yes. And, you know, it, it just sounded to me like the most exciting place in the world. And, um, and so I thought, well, how do I create that kind of sense of really pleasant chaos on stage? Um, you know, of recording booths and offices and sound equipment and all that stuff. And, and that's what I, I made the set out of. Um, but what I did was I kind of got rid of all the walls. So I imagined, you know, I imagined if you, if you had a space that had, you know, 40 little rooms in it, um, you know, with soundproof material, soundproofing and, and uh, headphones and uh, audio cables and guitars and drum sets and mixing panels and microphones and all those things. And, and you sort of made these cubicles and then took the walls away, mm-hmm. but left the sort of enough structure that so you sort of, sort of sensed these rooms. That's what, that's what the set was. It, it was sort of what it, uh, it was fantastic. And then that, like you said, that allows for so much flexibility as a director, as a choreographer, you look at that kind of set and you go, I can do a bunch of things because I'm not going to run into a wall. I'm not going right. to have any. And for in terms of lighting, there's all sorts of interesting options because yeah. there's, there's no, you know, shadows being cast from walls. And um, yeah. it's such a great and then it can and then it's used in many different ways throughout the show to to signal different things, you know, in different pieces. And, and it's really a wonderful, wonderful, almost like a jungle gym of a set. I don't know. I'm trying to use words. Yeah. I don't know if they, you no, know, that's right. that's the words it. don't I, do I, it. I use that word also. At one Did point. you, the words don't do it justice. I, people need to go on your website and see the beautiful photos of, of, of some of your designs. Cause um, we can talk, you know, this is set design, so we can talk to we're blue in the face, but, but until people, <laughs> until people get a look at and then see also your sets in action when they go to see the shows, that's, that's where, um, the true mark of, of, of what's so wonderful comes through. Um, so, okay, let's take a step back, Derek. You've yeah. been doing this for a long time. Um, I have. How did you get started? Was this something, I mean, I don't, I can't envision you as a little kid saying, hey, I want to design sets, although maybe that happened. But was it no, always, not me. yeah, what was it like as a kid? What did you want to do? Well, I didn't really know, uh, you know, I, I sort of thought I wanted to be an architect maybe, and I kind of did little drawings of houses. I uh, wasn't a very good drawer, but, um, and I made models of things, made a lot of model airplanes and also model, um, and I also made aquariums oh. from scratch, um, mm. which, uh, you know, there were, some of them were quite elaborately decorated. Um, they leaked by the way, because, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I actually went out and bought wood and then because glass was seemed like a sort of Luxury. I would just buy one plate of glass for the front of the aquarium, and then try to glue it into this wooden box that I had made. Oh wow! And, and it never really worked very well. But uh, <laughs> but so there, you know, there were those things that I sort of, I suppose, related to set design. But I honestly had never even heard of set design, and um, it wasn't until I was in college. Oh, but I did do some. Um, you know, I like to make things, and so I'd done some house construction. You know, as a summer job and that kind of thing, and. And right before I went to college, I spent, you know, three months uh, uh, working on a construction site, building a house in Vermont. And um, and then, you know, when I was in college, somebody said, oh, you know house construction. Well, how about you build a set? Hmm. And so I was like, okay. Um, and I did that. And um, 
I thought, wow, you know what would be really cool is to design this. Like, I never even thought of, like, there's a guy, because there was this guy telling me what to do who was the designer. And I thought, that's a cool thing to try. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so... And you were what age there at was this no, point when you kind of had that realization? I don't know, I was probably 19, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, so young. And very young 18, 19, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and I... Um, there was no theater program there. Mm-hmm. So... And so... the good thing about that was that it meant um, you didn't have to have any qualifications to design sets. So I mm. just said, I just started telling people I wanted to design sets and they would say, okay. Mm. And, uh, and, and so I ended up designing, you know, a ton of sets as an undergraduate and um, really had no idea what I was doing, uh, but I really loved it. Mm-hmm. And then I was lucky enough to work with a classmate of mine was the, um, um, avant-garde opera director Peter Sellers and oh, wow. okay. so I started working with him on some things and then I was hooked I was like because he he was working at a whole different level than most of you know mm-hmm. than the rest of us and yeah. um, and that you know he sort of taught me to design you know sort of much more sophisticated things that that none of us totally understood and that was exciting <laughs> um, yeah. and and, and, and then I realized I, I wanted to do this professionally. And so, uh, and then I happened to meet Michael Jurgen, um, mm. and, and he was on the faculty of Yale. And, um, you know, I kind of threw myself at him and said, what do I, what do, I do? I want to become a set designer. And, and he said, well, uh, show me your work. And I showed it to him. And he said, well, you should learn to draw and then you should come to Yale. Oh, and, but but he said you need to learn to draw, and mm-hmm. um, and so um, that's what I set out to do. And so um, I was an undergraduate at Harvard, and I didn't like the drawing classes that they had there at the time very much. And so I ended up um, uh, I ended up taking drawing at the Cambridge Center for Adult Education mm-hmm. in the evening, mm-hmm. and um, and they had good drawing classes there. And I did that for a while. Uh, I did a summer some summer class summer summer school drawing intensive programs and then and then I went to Yale and I actually learned a few skills about set design. Did you actually major in theater at Harvard? No, there was no such thing. No. I was going to say. So you got a you got yeah. like a different kind of major for like, you know, every, I was an English major. That was sort of okay. the closest yeah, closest yeah. thing there was. I was yeah. Say, yeah. Well, that's that's pretty amazing. Harvard and and then you went to Yale for for grad school to really yep. hone, hone yeah. your craft in, in set design. And yeah. how did you, then from Yale, how did you make the transition to New York or was it a natural transition for you or did you stay regionally? What did you, how did you? Uh, well, I just, moved, I just moved to New York. Um, hmm. I didn't get any design work um, then, but I, it wasn't that hard to find assistant work. I basically just literally got the phone numbers. I think I called my union because I was, I, I joined the union already and I called the union and I asked for the phone numbers of 10 set designers I'd heard of. Mm-hmm. And, um, I called them up and, um, said, hi, do you have any assistant work? And most of them said, no, well, they all said no, but one of them said, Oh, call this guy. I think he's looking for somebody. And so, uh, I, I, I did. And, uh, he hired me and, you know, and from then on, I just, Worked from I, I assisted a whole lot of different people in New York over the next couple of years. So you cut your teeth and then eventually that way being an assistant. Sorry, first. you cut yeah, your teeth. Yeah, I, so, I learned so much. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's a whole that was a whole other education that was you know totally different than what I got in graduate school, which was you know seeing how people really work, mm-hmm. 
especially when they're working, you know, they have to work super fast and under mm-hmm. pressure and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and they don't have a teacher telling them what to do. And so, mm-hmm. um, that was great. And I also got to learn about how they sort of conducted themselves professionally with, you know, on the phone and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, that was, that was, that was very, very useful for me. And, um, and then, you know, eventually I started to get some little tiny off Broadway, uh, shows to design that you know had tiny tiny little budgets and they were tough because there was never enough money to really do anything substantial as a designer on those sure. so those those are challenging but then eventually i started to to design some shows at regional theaters and um and that was that was where i first got to really design sets professionally you know that where you could actually have an idea and have somebody execute it for you right um which is very, very different than working a little off off broadway situation sure. you know they, these are these are theaters that had professional scene shops and they had professional props people and they had good painters and um so you could actually you could actually come up with an idea and get it get it done and um and that was great and i i did that probably for you know about 10 years i mean i worked all over the country and did 12 to 14 shows a year um during that time wow. and um um you know, and, and I got to experiment a lot. I mean, the fact that I was just doing that many shows and they were all over the country, you know, it's just sort of, it, it, made me, it made me bolder in a way. I was like, well, I'm just going to try, try this thing on the show and to see how it goes. Sometimes these ideas worked and sometimes they didn't work so well, but, um, but it, was, it was, that was a great experience. And then eventually um, I uh, got married and started to have kids and I did not want to travel so much. So I, and I didn't really have any career in New York at that point because I'd just been working in regional theaters. And, you know, um, <laughs> New York City is weirdly one of the most insular places yes. there is. Because, like, if you've, done, if you've done work somewhere else that's not in New York City, it basically doesn't exist for people. <laughs> so right. Yeah, it's they, tough. They would yeah, be like, well, you, you don't have you, you, it's like you have no experience. And I was like, well, I've done, been working in regional theaters for 10 years. And they were like, Yes, mm-hmm. but we didn't see any of those shows, mm-hmm. um, right, and so that was frustrating. So I, you know, I kind of started over a l- again a little bit when I sure. when I decided I needed to s- sort of really concentrate on New York, and so mm-hmm. it meant it meant um, you know going back to designing off Broadway uh, again, which I did for you know for quite some time before I started. I, I was I was definitely a late bloomer in terms of mm-hmm. having a uh, a Broadway career. I mean, you know, I did not start really designing you know an Ernest on Broadway until my mid mid 40s isn't it um, well wait is it better that way for I mean I don't know people it depends you know, on what your goals are oh I think it? it's definitely I think it's definitely better that way for I mean you, yeah. look it's better it's better to be a late bloomer than to be a flash in the pan when you're you right. know and then a we're kid doing, and, and, and honestly if I had gotten Broadway shows um early on if I would somehow lucked into them it probably would not have gone well for me because I wasn't I didn't have the maturity for them. I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't have enough experience. You had to, you confidence. had to get ready. You had to be ready, and all yeah, those yeah, other. Yeah, I didn't have the confidence to do them. But it um, gave you such a breadth, also, because of all the other things that you've done aside from Broadway. I mean, your Broadway credits are incredibly impressive. But aside, if, even if you put the Broadway aside, you've done so many other things. Uh, you know, whether it's television, um, you know, uh, and you know some of the, like you said, the off-Broadway stuff that you mentioned. You've won an, yeah. you've won an Emmy award, which I, which I still do. And I and I still I still love designing off Broadway. Yeah. So I mean I, I like working on anything that's good, really. Right. Um, and so let's talk a bit about is. 
let's talk a bit about the diversity of the things that that you work on because um, it's you know it, it, it's hard for me as someone who doesn't design sets to understand and I don't know if people listening what the differences are what are the different skills that you have to use and how do you have to adapt to design a small play versus a large musical or versus a, say an Academy Awards ceremony which you've done uh, many of uh, you know or a live musical for television what are the I mean how how do you wrap your brain around all these different uh, requirements. Well, the thing that they all have in common, really, is you're you know you're trying to tell help to tell tell a story, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's sort of you know what drives everything that we do, what everything I do. Um, the the um, you know the differences, you know the obvious differences are that off Broadway theaters tend to be smaller and they have much much smaller budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but things are also more flexible, you know, generally, um, because they're smaller and less expensive, you know, sort of changing things on your, on your feet when you see them isn't, isn't quite as difficult as it is on Broadway, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's very expensive to do that. Um, sure. so, you know, that's, I guess that's really the biggest difference is it's just a lot more money riding, uh, on on Broadway that everything costs a lot more and there's more money to be made. So, mm-hmm. and generally speaking, Broadway shows are commercial adventures, ventures, not all of them, but a lot of, most of them are, you know, commercial ventures where somebody is hoping to, 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 to make a profit. And, um, that's not really quite the same, at you know, off most off Broadway, most off Broadways are, are not for profit. And so it's just, you know, they have slightly different goals. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, I guess that's a difference too, but it's, you know, and then the, you may, you raised um, the live TV musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they have a lot in common with designing a Broadway show, um, but you know, they're, they're different, you know, obviously you have to make accommodations for cameras um, mm-hmm. and you've got to think sort of both, the long shot, which is more like Broadway, like everybody in the audience on a Broadway show sees sort of a long view, mm-hmm. um, the master shot, as it were. Where, but you know, on television, you're seeing that, but you're mostly seeing close-ups. Yeah. And so, you know, you also have to you, you have to spend you have to sort of spend a lot of time figuring out well, what's that going to look like? You know, is it going to make any sense if you're just seeing that much of something over somebody's head? Mm-hmm. You know, is, will will it be confusing or will that will that well, that we can I actually can I actually give the right information on those close-ups. That, mm-hmm. So um, that's that's the thing you you sort of have to think about too. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I worked on four of those live musicals, and the first one was the first you know really that had been done in forty years or something like that, which is the Sound of Music. I mean, nobody's mm-hmm. done a live musical in 40, 40 or fifty years. I mean, some incredibly long time. Yes, when we did that Sound of Music, and so you know. Um, Really, there were so many unknowns for everybody on that that really, you know, we were just trying to get through it um, and um, and and pull it off. Um, so, had you I, ever you know, had you ever designed Sound of Music on stage prior? No, never. Regional never. production, because I'm very curious to know, like, if someone had designed it 
how would you how did you do it differently like if you if someone said okay it's a regional production of sound and music go you're designing the set versus um or a broadway production versus this live tv musical i mean what obviously you said accounting for the cameras and all that but aside from that are there things you do well yeah i think the thing that you know the producers wanted from that um was you know, they wanted more realism than you would do on, on you know, for typically for a Broadway musical. They wanted it to be more complete. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea was to have separate sets. Mm. So when you go when you go to the Abbey, you're really in the Abbey, and when you go to the Von Trapp's house, you're really in the Von Trapp's house, which wouldn't necessarily be true on stage. Yeah, you can do. You know, you might you might have, might might suggest those things a little bit more. So, mm. um, you know, their concept for for um, for sound and music was that it was a, like a live movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very difficult to pull off, um, mm-hmm. and I can't, you know, I can't say that we really did pull that off. I, you know, I think it was, it was, it was an interesting adventure. But uh, you know, movies require, you know, movies are just shot so differently than live television because it's usually yes. single camera, and you get the light for each shot. Um, and you know, for for live television, you there, you know, you have lots of cameras going at the same time, and. Um, the lighting has to be much more general because it's got to work from for all the cameras, at the, you know, all different angles, and so you don't get uh, you don't get to compose things uh, in the same way that you you know a movie you really get to compose every shot uh, really, sure. and yeah. um, you don't really get to do that for live. You have a lot more television. control in film. You have a lot more control as the director, yeah. and the designer. Yeah. And live anything live, you you never know. What's going to happen? So, have you ever? Uh, I don't know if you have you ever designed for a, a, a TV show, like a sitcom or a, a situation comedy or a, anything like that. No, I've never. Why? I've never done a sitcom because I think uh, those would be really interesting and very different. Yeah, too. I've never. I've, <laughs> I've never done that. Um, I mean, I've done very little film, I've, yeah. um, but um, uh, really, so it's mostly been television and, and theater. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Which have I've, really, done a couple, I've done a couple, a couple of small films. Yeah. I mean, it's just fascinating all the different aspects of your job, right? And how they change according to the product. And like you said, there are some basics like story and some things that affect it like budget uh, and some practical considerations. But other than that, yeah. I mean, you really have to tell, you know, it's really fascinating. So um, you mentioned a bit about doing how you had to do some things differently for the live musicals. Um, did you, during this whole pandemic period that we've been on, did you, were you asked to, and did you say yes to do anything that was on Zoom or on video or for any of the theaters that were doing online, I guess I should say, uh, streaming productions? Yeah, um, I, I think on Zoom, really, um, yeah, I saw, I saw more Zoom readings of plays than I care to remember, but, um, sure. I, I didn't design any of those. I did design um, a small film version of Waiting for Godot that actually starts uh, airing uh, in just for like three weeks. Um, mm-hmm. It'll be streaming. streaming. Um, and that was interesting. Um, Is this the one with cast. E- Ethan Hawke? Yeah, it's Ethan Hawke and, and um, John Leguizamo and Tariq uh-huh. Trotter and Wally Shawn. Oh, um, wonderful. So it's a great cast. Yeah, um, great cast. And, and so, but we did accommodate, you know, um, all the sort of realities of COVID when we did this, uh, which was that each actor was in his own home, mm-hmm. 
well, with the exception of John Leguizamo, he was in London, so he was in a hotel room in London. But um, wow. and so, you know, my task as a designer was to, you know, not only create the worlds, but also to to, to figure out how to put them in a world that felt related. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, uh, I designed four sets for them. Actually, the boy. There's also the character of the boy, who's got a very small role. But so he had a fifth set. He was in Chicago. And um, and so you know, we made sets that that could go into each of their you know homes or apartments. That's and I had a crew. I had a crew in London take um, John Legozama's set to his hotel room and set it up there. Oh. And and then we had the lighting was done by the cinematographer. He was in LA, and he controlled the cameras as well. We had these incredible Sony uh, cameras, hmm. um, and. And the editor is in Israel, and it was it was quite a technical challenge because it wow. wasn't it was not a Zoom reading. It was you yeah. know it was it Full was shot like film. Yeah, yeah, shot like a film. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, just hearing some of these things is really amazing. And so you'd mentioned the word flexibility earlier, and clearly yeah. you, you understand that as a designer that <laughs> you've got to go with the flow and be flexible. Now I talked. We talked. We really only talked about 33 variations and beautiful in terms of stage work. Yeah. I wanted to give you an opportunity. Is there any particular theater project, you know, because I chose those two, but is there any other particular theater project that you've done that you were really happy about and that really to you exemplifies, you know, a Derek McLean set, what you bring to the table and what about them was special to you? Yeah, I, I, I really felt that way about Moulin Rouge. Um, hmm. It was... You know, it was a big production, uh, obviously, um, and it was a big budget production. But the, it's it's a it it sort of taps into some a bunch of different worlds that I'm very um, sort of comfortable with and familiar with, which is like Paris, the 19th century, um, late 19th century, mm-hmm. the period I, I love and feel very comfortable in, and. And then also it has, you know, it has this sort of exotic Asian elements to it, which, mm. you know, um, which come from, you know, really the, the kind of fashion sense of Paris in the late 19th century. They were fascinated with Morocco and with China and with mm. India and, um, you know, especially in the sort of artistic world and, the, and also in the world of the courtesans. Mm-hmm. And so being able to pull all those things together um, and... Um, you know, I felt like I got to draw on a lot of skills that I've developed over over decades uh, of working, and so that was really that was really really fun to work on. And 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 working with with Alex Timbers on that, you know, he loves design so much, and he he also he's he's quite happy to put in the time to mm-hmm. you know to work on something that. Um, you know, that was that was also great. It was just great to, to it was just great to do that. So mm, that's fantastic. And yeah. is, there, is there any other one that you'd like to, to mention? Because I mean, you, you have so many, right? And we could we could go on and on. But um, well, I have a, I have my own curiosity. <clears throat> the production yeah. of, of oh. Follies, the revival, the most recent revival yeah. of Follies that I assume you did with with Eric Schaefer, right? The director. Yeah. Um, I saw it here at the Kennedy Center uh, before uh-huh. it, before it went to to New York. Um, 
And I was involved in the 2003 production that Eric Schaefer did at Signature Theater years ago. All right. <laughs> I was in the wow. I to swing in the ensemble, but uh, so I knew some of the faces, and and I and I and you know, so I was curious to me to see how uh, Eric translated it to a much larger space, and how did you work with him in order to move that show? Because that you know the. Um, Boris Aronson original set for Follies back in the 70s was historic at the time, right? In 1971, it was historic for sort of breaking the mold in a way like he had done with company uh, prior. So what what did you think when you were assigned sort of this <laughs> this crazy, huge musical? Um, yeah, I mean... Um... You know, it's interesting. It, it actually didn't seem that huge to me because mm. so much of it has just happened sort of backstage. That, yeah. You know, you know, or on, I shouldn't say backstage, but on an empty stage. Mm. Um, and you know, and really, you know, some of it was also we were doing it. We it didn't have Broadway aspirations really, particularly when we started. I mean, it was really a Kennedy Center production that ended up moving to Broadway, but we don't weren't mm-hmm. we weren't sort of approaching it as it. We were not approaching it as a pre a pre Broadway yes. um, show, and so um, you know, I guess for that reason, you know, the budget was tight, and um, so really the only big change, you know, was. Well, Loveland, going to Loveland, and and you know, and uh, Sondheim had one sort of um, suggestion slash mandate, you know, before we did that, which is that he said that the space Loveland needed Loveland should not be quoted. It should not. You should not quote Loveland. It shouldn't be. You know, he did not think it worked as something that just floated in the space. It needed to take over the space. The completely different um, space, right? Because there, it's in their yeah. own minds, and in a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which you did, I mean, beautifully with their. Which stuff. I did, yeah, yeah. and um, so that was useful. That was actually useful. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a useful thing for him to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I really just did. I just made a sort of extravaganza of pink flowers on stage for that. that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, which was sort of silly, but it was. You know, it's sort of. Yeah, it's one of those things where you you know you say I'm just going to trust my first instinct on this, and mm. and that's what Loveland is to me. Is, is it, it also you know, had layers? That's what I thought was it interesting. Had a lot of layers, there was yes. depth to it. It was almost like a, a Italian, um, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, Palladio or something where, where there were all these layers behind the original, the proscenium. Yes. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that yeah. a lot. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was. And again, you know, the other thing is, I knew, of course, I had to make it different from what Boris Aronson did. So exactly. Brilliant. Exactly. You, so. put your own, you put your own spin on it, as everyone as everyone in that production did with with their interpretations and yeah. also the choreography. Everything was very different from the original, which is which is what you want to do when you're when you're doing a revival of of, of a, yeah. a well known musical. I mean, that's a brilliant example of sort of how you've taken that the using spaces in different different ways and and giving it a depth. That's what I, I guess I was trying to get at earlier. The other thing, the other, sorry, one other thing oh, about that yeah. show that was sort of a big part of the design was that um, we did it, you know, the Kennedy Center is, is pretty modern looking and um, it's really supposed to be happening in a, you know, in, a, in an old Broadway theater that on the night before it's torn down. Mm. So the interior of the Kennedy Center really looked wrong. And, yeah. um, and so I ended up covering the walls, you know, with gray... Tar- tarpaulins, so gra- drop cloths, um, construction mm-hmm. cloths, 
to try to cover as much of the walls as I could um, at the Kennedy Center, which I think I did about half of the auditorium at the Kennedy Center. Yes. And when we did it on Broadway, we were at the Marquis, which is also very modern looking, mm-hmm. the Marriott Marquis. And so I completely covered the Marriott Marquis, like every every square inch of the walls of the Marquis I covered yeah. with these gray job claws. And um, mm-hmm. so that was, I don't know, there was something fun about that. that oh, it absolutely the brought it, in, it brought it out into the to theater, the you yeah. felt transported. Absolutely. I really loved that as an audience member. And it really brought, it, it brought the production, almost extended it out into the first several rows, at least at the Kennedy Center, of the, of the, yeah. of the audience, which was fantastic. Wow. I mean, it's a really beautiful, the work you do, Derek. And, you know, I wish we had more time. We're almost out of time, believe it or not. But um, I, I wanted to ask you before we go, is there anything that's on the horizon that you can tell us about um, or that you haven't already told us uh, that you can tell us about that's coming up for you on stage? You said that there were things coming up in September or the fall. Is there anything you can talk about or is it all hush hush? No, uh, there's a couple of things I can't uh, I can't talk about yet. Um, they, they haven't been announced yet. Um, there's a cool revival of a musical, um, you know, that may do in the spring or perhaps the following fall. Um, you know, so it's a, at least a year off um, that I'm excited about. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I can talk about Almost Famous, which um, mm. you know, which we did at the Old Globe. Um, I guess at this point, probably almost two years ago. Um, Based on the film. A year and a half, I guess a year and a half ago. Based on the film, Cameron Crowe, who mm-hmm. wrote and directed the film, you know, it's kind of the story of his, his youth. Um, he, he, he wrote, the, he wrote the, the book to the musical, mm-hmm. and Jeremy Heron, as a British director, directed it, and um, Tom Kitt mm-hmm. wrote, uh, wrote the score, and then it uses some, you know, it uses some, um, some pop songs from the 70s, rock songs from the 70s, and um, so it's, it's it's really wonderful. It's a really wonderful um, theater piece, and um, you know it's a, it's a sort of beautiful coming of age story, wow. and, you know yeah. about it about a teenage boy, and um, so you know we did it at the Old Globe, and it was really a special thing, and so I'm excited. To, you know, uh, we don't have a date yet for that, but that'll come to Broadway, okay. and, wow. um, and God willing, and and um, I, I'm excited for that. Well, we'll be looking forward to that and many other things from you. I know, Derek, you're not just going to suddenly stop doing stuff. It sounds like you're you're a very active, <laughs> active. No, you're an active designer and you have interests in a lot of different things, which is really wonderful to hear. Um, so if people want to keep updated on what you're working on before we go here, I want you to be able to, I don't know if you use social media or uh, if you have a Yeah, website. I mean, I'm always, I'm always posting, you know, my stuff that um, I'm working on. I mean, I haven't been doing that so much in the last year because it's sure. been quiet, you know. But um, yeah, I, I, I have an Instagram. It's just uh, at Derek McLean, and um, you know, I so I definitely put I put some sketches and photos and things related to the work I'm doing up there. Right, and you have a website as well, which has uh, many uh, photos of your uh, past work and current work. Um, it uh, does, unless the show is an abject disaster. I usually put it on the website. <laughs> well, but I think people should know about that. What's your website address? So if you don't mind telling, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's. Uh, DerekMcLean.com. Right. People should go there because when I'm talking about designers and with designers, it's really hard um, for people as they're listening. They really should go check check the website as well to get a look at see some of the things we're talking about in visual because it's a visual medium, you know, so. Yeah. Derek, thank you so much for spending your, uh, you know, a little bit of time with us here at American Theater Artists Online. We really appreciate it. It's been wonderful talking to you. 
Nice talking to you, Stefan. And we look forward to seeing your work in the coming seasons and beyond. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the American Theatre Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.